Hey, this is Mark Tremonti from Tremonti, and you're tuned in to Focus on Metal. Hey, Metalhead, Scott Thompson here, and it is time for another episode of Focus on Metal. Well, Memorial Day has passed here in the States, and that means that we are full-on heading into the summertime. And, of course, that means in uh, just a few short weeks that Richie and I and everyone else here at Focus on Metal will glide into our summer break. Yep, it's uh, just like being back to school, right? Always waiting to get out for summer vacation. But, uh, yeah, in just a few short weeks, we will be uh, embarking on a little summer breakage here on Focus on Metal. But between now and then, got lots more great stuff to bring you, including this week's show with uh, two awesome guests. That would be Mark Tremonti and also Toby Jepson. So for those of you that don't know, Mark is in the midst of getting ready to put out a brand new Tremonti album. It is called A Dying Machine. Actually, this one is a concept album. And uh, Mark is having a chat with Richie all about what went into that and what we can expect. And it's a little bit of stuff that's been released from it so far. And uh, we'll uh, be sharing a bit of that with you as we go through our chat with Mark Tremonti. Also on the show this week... It is uh, Toby Jepson from Wayward Sons. You also might know him from uh, the uh, Little Angels and, of course, from Fastway. And for those of you that are true metal geeks, you know that he is one of the producers on Saxon's Call to Arms. So, again, another conversation that Richie had, and that is with Toby Jepson. So, that is what is up in the number two spot this week. So, lots of good discussion with these guys, as well as some previews of what to expect off of the new Tremonti album and the new Wayward Sons album, Ghosts of Yet to Come. So, with that, why don't we play a little track off of the new Tremonti album, uh, Dying Machine? And from there, go right into Richie. She's chat with Mark Tremonti. I know where you are. You're in Florida, so I know you're on the same time zone as me, so I don't have to say good morning or good afternoon. Where, where are you from? Um, I'm from Ireland, but I'm, I'm living just north of Boston. Oh, cool. Yeah. There's lots of Irish in Boston. Oh, just, yeah, loads. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I can get lost easily over here. There you go. Yeah, yeah. So I'm on, I'm on here to talk about the, uh, the new record, The Dying Machine. Um, I've had it a couple of weeks. Um, it's excellent, by the way. Thank you very much. Um, I, I do want to get into your love of concept albums in general. Are, are you a big fan of those anyway? 
No, you know, it's it's never something that was really on my radar too much. You know, I had I had a handful of them growing up, but it was never uh, as a songwriter something that I I thought I'd ever go after. So it kind of fell in my lap. You know, it was uh, I came up with the title track and wanted to chase it down. Okay. And what what would what would have been the big ones when you were growing up? Like would the likes of Operation Mindcrime be one of them, maybe? No, I mean the, the first concert I ever saw was was the Seventh Son of the Seventh Son tour. Um, so that that record was was uh, was a big one for me, and then the you know King Diamond Abigail was was a big one for me. Mm-hmm. Um, but like I said, I I, I like the individual songs on those records. It wasn't necessarily because they were concert records. Yeah, yeah. Now I have to say that like one of the things I love about what you're doing with Tremonti is um. In the in this day and age of everyone who wants to release singles, right? So with your last albums were you wrote twenty songs and released two separate records, and now you've gone like for a full blown concept album. So you really are going against the grain. Trying trying to do something different, you know. It's it's uh, with every record you want to try to uh, keep people guessing a little bit and uh, not just keep repeating yourself, you know, and um, find find new fans and and keep growing. Yeah, did, did anyone say you were crazy for doing a concept album? No, you know, everybody was, was kind of, uh, you know, I think I think until they hear the whole concept and read the story and read the book and all that stuff, I don't think anybody's really going to understand the, yeah. the full scope of it, you know, and I can't wait for, for people to actually, uh, I'm really excited for people to read the book and then hear the, hear the album as kind of a soundtrack to the book. Yeah, is that going to come out like separate to the record? Like, are you going to have that as kind of a package thing? Yeah, no, I'm I'm uh, hurting as quickly as I can. Um, with with John Shirley, me and him are, are partnering up on this book, and and once it's finished, hopefully this week, um, we'll send it off to copy editing and then get it printed. But that's that's about a six to eight week process. So we're gonna race to the finish. So hopefully it gets out within a month or so of the, the release. Yeah, and how big of a book are we looking at? Like two hundred pages, five hundred? It's gonna be between three and four hundred pages. Wow. What what was the process of getting that out of your head to the to the writer? Was that was that difficult? Oh, it was fun. I think it's one of the one of the most uh, exciting creative times in my life in my career. You know, it's um, I've had a bucket list item now for over ten years to get a book published. And, and uh, once I came up with the concept for this record and I fleshed it all out throughout the record and I could see the beginning and ending of the story, I. Uh, I was like, what a, this would be a great time uh, to get that, that book written. And um, I just didn't think I'd have the time to do it. And I figured, you know, I'll just write around the clock and, and, and get it done. But then I figured, you know, I, I need some help. So I I hunted the world for uh, a good partner to help me uh, hurry, hurry the process along. And I partnered up with John Shirley. And, um, you know, it's uh, thank God uh, we've, we've got it this far along at this point. Yeah. And did the idea for the book come? when you were writing the record or was it in conjunction with the record from the beginning? Oh, uh, no. I mean, I had, I had the record moving along with the story and came up with the story for the record. And once the record was, was written or almost written, um, I was like, you know, it'd be, it'd be good to have some kind of companion piece. So when people hear the record, they know what these songs are referring to. And at first I didn't know if it was going to be just a booklet within the CD that told the short stories of each song or if it was going to be a graphic novel comic book or I was like, you know what, I've always wanted to write a novel. I'm gonna go the whole distance and uh and not not cheapen it with any kind of anything but just just creating this the full novel, a fictional novel. Yeah. Now how do you how do you get that off the ground, the writing of the book? Because look, you've been in the music business so you kinda know how that works, but the other side of the print business is probably all new to you. Where like where did you start? I started with with um First, I had the story fleshed out, and I wrote an outline for it for myself. And then um, I started looking locally for like a ghostwriter to help me um, put it together. And uh, and then um, you know, you came up with a lot of things where you don't know if anybody's good or bad. So then I remembered my agent was part of UTA, who was just bought. He was he was part of the agency group who just was bought by UTA, and they have a whole literary department. So I called him up and I said, "We well, wouldn't happen to know of any great uh, authors." That, that could help me move this process along a little quicker. And um, he put me on the phone with the head of the literary department. They, he, he loved the story. 
um, and, and uh, sent me three writers. And I read their stuff, and they're all great writers, but they just didn't fit kind of, kind of, uh, they weren't on my same page. Yet. And uh, so I, so I said, you know, let's try some other ones. They sent me another three, same thing. You know, the writers were all great, but I just didn't, they just didn't fit this concept. And then when he finally sent me the last batch, John Shirley came up and um, he does TEDx talks about singularity and where technology is going. He specializes in the future of technology. And uh, he was the perfect guy um, because he can make the story make sense scientifically. So when I'm, when I'm saying this happens and that happens, he has a scientific um, explanation of how that's going to be possible and uh, it makes it much more believable. Yeah. Is there a lot of like face-to-face interaction with, with the guy or is, do you just send him the story and he just expands on it? Like, how did that all work? Well, we get on the phone for sometimes hours a day. We just, um, first thing we did is I got on the phone with him and told him the story really quickly from, from front, to the end, front to the end just so he got a grip of what it was about. And then I got on the phone with him the next day, told him again more in more detail. Yeah. And then more detail the next day. About a week, we, I talked back and forth with, with him about my vision for from all the different pieces and parts of, of the journey of, of how the record played out. And I explained each song and where it, what it was about and where it went and where I think it should end. And then, um, then I said, you know, in a perfect world, you could send me um, an outline of where you have it now that I've explained it in your head. So he, sent, he took a few days and he sent me back a 28-page uh, outline of the story. And then we picked that outline apart for a week or two, just made sure that uh, before we get off and running, um, um, we're both on the same page with, with the flow of the book. And once we got that done, we were off to the races. And it's been every time a chapter's done, you know, I'll, I'll talk with John about the next chapter and, and, and he'll go ahead and put pen to paper and then send it my way and then I'll read through it umpteen times and write all my notes and, and edits and ideas. And um, and he's very good to work with. You know, he's never once been like, oh, that's not a good idea. You're not a writer. I'm a writer. You know, <laughs> he's, always been, he's always been really, really great to work with. And, and uh, I think we work well together. And uh, I, I'm so happy that he's the guy that I partnered up with because it's, it's just been a great, I've had a blast in it. Yeah, now who who had more questions in in the writing process for the book? Did you have more questions for him, or did he end up having more for you? Um, no, there's never really many questions. It's I mean, we just sit there and kind of it's just like to me, it's just like writing a song. When I sit down with Miles and write an ultra bridge song, we're throwing ideas at each other. And we're like, all right, let's do it. It's just like that with me and John. We'll sit there and I'll say, you know, it would be great if this character maybe had a little more of a Dramatic death, <laughs> you know, or yeah, this happened, yeah. and, and this happened, and that happened. He'd, you know, he'd say, "Wow, that, yeah, it's great. Let's add some drama to that scene, and let's edit this out, and let's edit that out." When the when the book first started, it was leaning, it was leaning he- heavily towards the science sci-fi side of things. And I told John after the first couple chapters, I'm like, "Let's make sure that we keep this a human story, even though it's set in the, in the future and it's got some sci-fi elements to it. Let's keep it a human story, and, and we kind of." backed off from from being too much of a of a you know sci-fi leaning niche market so it's more of a broad broad story for, for just about anybody okay okay so so mark i want to get into the writing of the of the album a little bit um mm-hmm. how different is it to write a concept record than a, than a normal record is it really different uh yeah i mean it was very it was very different just because um when i usually write an album i'll i'll take bits and pieces of songs and I put them together and make them make them you know my favorite chorus and I mix with my favorite verse and my favorite bridge and then I'll then I'll write the lyrics after the fact. But with this record, uh, I had to sit there and think, what is the concept of the next song gonna be? Uh whose point of view is it gonna be from? What am I singing about? And then um then I'll set the mood for the music and then chase down a little do it all at one time. You know, all the ideas were fresh and new and brand new. I wasn't digging into my past writing. It was all yeah. fresh new stuff. And I, I would tackle it song by song. Usually when I do a record, I'll do bits and pieces of songs along the way and finish in the end. But with this record, each song was finished before I started the next. Yeah. Was it frustrating at all? Were any of the songs really tough to get out because of that you're writing that way? Um, you know, to be honest, no. I think it was a, it was a fun 
smooth process through the whole thing. Uh, it was, uh, yeah, it was, it was such a cool, unique way for me to, to tackle it. I had, I had fun creating this, uh, opening my imagination and trying to create the next scene of, 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 the, of the story. Yeah. And did it take it longer to write than, than any of the, the other albums? Um, it took a lot of work, especially lyrically. I think the lyrics I took much longer than I've ever taken before. They had to, they had to say a lot. They had to be perfect. And, and uh, uh, you know, that definitely took, I mean, maybe five times longer than any other record lyric-wise. But as far as, uh, the music and the solos and everything probably, probably about the same time same wow now, one of the things I noticed on the record and you can correct me if I'm wrong but it seems you seem to have like really stepped up vocally on this like harmonies and you know, doubling your vocals on it you seem to have put a lot more work into it on this one uh, you know I think it's just about being confident and um, I, I think uh the best way to become a better singer is to sing in front of people. And I've gotten to do that for so many years now. And uh, I think one thing that's really helped me is when we play on Ultra Bridge tours, I get to, I get to sing the lead on, on a song called Waters Rising. And then we can do a lot of backup vocals with Miles. And just keeping my voice fresh so when I come back to Tremonti, I'm already um, warmed up for, for vocals and ready to go. Um, it's, helped me, it's helped me become a, a a more solid singer and it's helped me expand my range a little bit yeah were we ever tempted on this record like to go to whole hog and get a choir on it or maybe some strings you know there's some strings if you listen closely you know if, if you listen to the title track of dying machine okay um if uh, you listen to the song traits especially when it breaks down after the bridge it, it comes to a halt and you'll hear you'll hear strings real clearly there um okay. The first last has some strings on it. Um, the more theatrical stuff, the more moody stuff has, you know, especially Dying Machine. If you strip away, um, if you stripped away all the music and just heard the strings, it's a, Elvis did a great job of composing the strings behind that song. It's almost like, um, I'd almost like to release that as is. And then, um, uh, Desolation also has, has some strings behind it. A little bit. Okay. And they're, they're real strings, like they're not keyboards, are they? Oh, they're, yeah, they're, they're synth. Okay, uh, synth, okay. You know, yeah, it's, it's tough to go hire an orchestra to do something like that. And, That's and true. You played with an orchestra, though, didn't you, in, in Albert Hall? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, we, we did. We filmed that, and we're putting out a DVD of, of that performance later this year. Yeah, that must have been an amazing experience. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So I just want to finish up. I want to ask you about your relationship with, with uh, Michael Basquette. Now, you, you've done albums with him for a long time. Um, how do you keep it fresh between the two of you? So you're, you don't, you know, you're not finishing each other's sentences and you're, you know, that there has to be a little bit of stress there. How, how do you keep that relationship on, like, you know, like that? Um, well, we, you know, we, we spend a lot of time together when we're working on putting the record together, but in between records, we don't usually speak too much. We're both so busy. So when we get back together, we're all excited to work with each other again. And, and uh, you know, it's, it's great. I mean, he's, he just becomes a, a fifth voice in the band and, and uh, you know, makes it sound as big as you could ever imagine. He's so good at, at tones and, and capturing great performances and, and keeping the vibe positive in the studio. Yeah, I think the last time he spoke to me, you said he only lives down the road from you too, so that helps. Yeah, he's only 10 minutes from my house. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, so Mark, when, how much of the record do you think you're going to play live when you go out? Uh, in the long run, I want to be able, you know, I'd, I'd like to be able to play the bulk of the record on tour. Um, when we first get back out there, when we do our headline shows, we'll probably start immediately with four of the new songs because they were, uh, we plan on having four released before the record comes out. And then, uh, and at sound checks, we'll be practicing the other ones so we can bring them in and set as soon as possible. Okay. Okay. Excellent. Um, the scheduling now that you have between, you and Miles, because like you've got the two bands. Miles has the, the solo stuff and Slash and Alter Bridge. Um, has that gotten easier or harder over the years? Um, you know, it's it's never be, it's never been a big problem. You know, it's everybody, it's always been a, a concern that everybody's had, like if this isn't going to work out or that's going to work out. But it's always worked out, man. So it's it's never uh, never become as big of a problem as you might think. Yeah, how far ahead do you know your schedule now? Probably until about the end of next year. 
Yeah, we've already started talking about when me and Miles are going to get together to write, and then when we we'll hit the studio, we'll probably have to hit the studio sometime before next summer because uh, I plan on hitting the festivals with with this band um, next summer. So we have to probably be wrapped up with the bulk of the recording before that happens. Wow, <laughs> you definitely like to stay busy. Yeah, you know, it's it's. Uh, I feel like I was missing out if I didn't get to, you know, create all these these new songs. Yeah, yeah. So, what what do you prefer now, Mark? Do you, do you still prefer the writing or do you the live performance? I love the creation part of it. That's probably my favorite. I mean, I, I enjoy performing. I mean, it's definitely something that that you can only imagine if you're up there doing it yourself. You know, it's just such a rush. But it's uh, but my biggest joy to me is creating something from nothing and then taking people on on a journey. So, using the imagination, I, I love it. Yeah, I, I'd love to know now where you're going to go for the next Tremonti record. I, you know. I thought about that, and uh, <laughs> you know, it's one thing as I've been doing this record, I've been worried about is where do I go from here? It's just kind of a, yeah. you know, tough to, you know, I feel so happy about the uh, what's what's come of this record and the novel and all that stuff. Um, you know, either I either I chase down a, a sequel or. Uh, you know, I don't know what else I'd do. Yeah, did, did you ever bring up the idea of a concept for an Alterbridge record? Um, you know, people have always asked us if some of the records were concept records, but they are pretty much just records that might have a common thread thanks to a few yeah. songs. But um, I mean, we never, we never really talked about it. Okay, okay, might be interesting. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah, maybe you'll do your sequel with the Alterbridge. <laughs> that would be fun. Yeah. So, so before I go, Mark, do you just want to give out all the social media sites where people can get in touch with you? Yeah, I'm on Twitter all the time. I'm, I'm at Mark Tremonti on Twitter, and then on Instagram, I'm at Mark T Tremonti. Um, I don't know what I'm at on Facebook, but somebody runs that for me. Whenever I, whenever I post something, they put it on Facebook. Okay. It's probably just, it's probably easy to find. Yeah. Um, but those are those are where I'm most active: is Twitter and Instagram. Yeah. Well, the the, the new Tremonti album, a Dying Machine, Mark, it's brilliant. Love it. Thank you so much. I I'm, appreciate that. I'm so glad you're, you know, you're doing what you're doing and being old school. Thank you, sir. I appreciate oh. that. All right. So I'll leave you go and have a good rest of the day. Awesome. You too. All right, Mark. Bye. Hi, Toby. Richie here from Focus on Metal. How you doing, pal? I'm all right. Where in the UK are you based? Uh, I live um, near a city called Bath, which is um, down near Bristol, which is southwest. Yeah, yeah, I know it. I know it. I'm, um, I'm calling you. I'm just outside of Boston in the US. Okay. So um, you can probably tell. Where's you. your accent? Where's your accent originally from, then? Waterford in Southern Ireland. 
I get a lot of people like I'll call them over there and they'll be like hang on a second where are you calling from where's the accent <laughs> you know. so how long have you been over there um, nine years great yeah, my, it? yeah my wife is uh, she's from here and um, we've got right. two, we've got two kids so one my son was born in Ireland and my daughter was born in America so the women are American uh-huh. and the men are Irish. <laughs> Good stuff, man. Good yeah, stuff. Yeah. So I I'm, I'll be honest, I'm relatively new to the band. I know the band have only got one album. And um uh-huh. the, I think the album's amazing, by the way. Thank it's you. Absolutely amazing. Thank you. Now I get offered a lot of Frontiers bands. And um mm-hmm. they can be very nostalgic in the way that they sound. And you're on the Frontiers label, so when you got the band together and Frontiers came to you, were you a little bit nervous about what sound they wanted to push you in at all? Well, in a way I was, because like you, I'd observed um, the way that Frontiers played their game. You know, there was obviously an awful lot of um, bands that were consisted of members from other bands and, you know, and and regurgitations of, of, of various you know, big name bands and all the rest of it. Um, but I had I had contact um, with Frontiers through a friend of mine called Derek Oliver, who actually used to work for Geffen Records years ago, and then also was involved in Kerrang! magazine in the UK for a long time. And Derek came to me maybe a year or so before I ended up signing to Frontiers and sort of said, look, they're changing. You know, they're looking for... You know, they're looking for other ways of branching out, and um, I put your name forward you know, to be um, somebody to be considered. Um, but, in, but in that original conversation, it was what we were talking about. And what they wanted to do was have kind of almost like a, a, a British supergroup, um, of which they, 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 you know, they were, Derek had suggested I, I would be the singer and the, and the writer along with some other British sort of well-known musicians. But that just didn't appeal to me one, one iota. I just didn't feel that at all. And, and the conversations went on from there, really. And, and you know, at one point, I was going to do some stuff with Steve Stevens because um, he was putting out a record. And um, but I, you know, steadily kind of got to know a little bit about the label. Um, so it, 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 it was kind of the first or very serious approach after that. The Eric Oliver conversations from when I originally got approached by Serafino, he originally asked me to put the, would I do a little Angels record, you know, which is obviously my previous band, and which I turned down flat and said, no, that's not what I want to do. And then he said, okay, well, what do you want to do? And I said, well, you know, I'd, I'd be very keen to put a, a serious project together, but it needs to be under my, you know, under my um, direction. And um, and, he, and, and initially, I'll be honest. Initially, I was I was thinking about working with some Americans. Um, you know, I've become friends with Brian Tishy and a couple of other guys, and and um, and we were we were sort of there was a sort of mooted conversation about doing that, and that kind of went on and on and on for several months, and then it didn't come to anything, and and I sort of just said to Seraphina, man, look, this just just doesn't feel right to me at all. You know, I'm. I, you know, it's obviously telling me something that these, it seems to be very difficult to put this together. And he said, well, look, in your heart of hearts, what do you want to do? And I said, well, in, in, yeah, what I'd really love to do is actually put together a bunch of unknowns, really, in lots of ways, or get a band together that I actually felt very, you know, connected to, get a, find a really bunch of great, great bunch of people that I could really work with, you know. Because I think the, the emphasis that Frontiers always had, well, had certainly initially, was it was actually named, you know, very well-known named people because that was what was going to sell the records. Um, and I didn't, I didn't really agree with that. I just think it's about the music. I think it's about the songs. I think it's about the way that you present yourself, you know. Um, and then it's, it, it, it's, up to, it's up to the public to decide as to whether they like it or not. You can't force people to buy a record just because a famous musician's on it. If it's not very good, they're not going to buy it, you know. So... Um, so really, that that was kind of that was my approach, and 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 and, you know, and, and thankfully, Serafina and Mario were very um, um, open to that idea, and I, in in a way, it was kind of a bit of an acid test because I sort of felt well, if they don't understand that I need to offer something that comes from my heart, that really I really believe in, if that if that doesn't chime with them, and it's all about who's in the band, 
then they're not the right label to work with anyway. So um, thankfully, they they went absolutely get on with it. Do do what you want to do. We we trust you. We believe in you. And you know here, here we are. <laughs> type yeah. of thing, you know? so, Toby, do you think some of some of the impetus for forming a new band, a brand new band, came from the fact that? You know, you'd sung in other bands that already had a name, like you'd, you'd done a little bit with Gone and, and, and Fastway, and you just you just wanted something brand new. That, that, that's exactly right. I mean, I had a fantastic time with Gone. I, I mean, I've, I've been working, and I, I had been working with Eddie Clark, um, you know, obviously with Fastway for, for a long time, since 2007, when I first met Eddie. Um, you know, we, we've been working together on and off quite quite you know on quite a few in quite a few ways live specifically but we'd also ended up making an album together and and then i'd gone into um i'd gone into sort of the dio's disciples thing which was a wonderful experience but i kind of came out the end of it thinking well as much as i appreciate doing this i love doing it i mean don't get me wrong i had a fantastic time it was a real privilege to be in that band you know with those guys but i did think ultimately even though Ronnie's, Ronnie Dio is one of my biggest heroes, I, I was singing someone else's material. It was someone else's songs, and and that could, that that can be you can only sustain the enjoyment of that for so long, you know. Um, and it was the same thing with Gone, and by and large, live it was the same thing for Fastway. So you're absolutely right. I sort of felt well, because I kind of said to myself at the end of all that, when when I kind of got to the end of the Dio's Disciples thing, I thought to myself, you know what? If I can't go and do something that's original, if I don't have um, a complete commitment to creating new music that's my own, then I don't really want to be in another band um, again because it's 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 just not how I it's not what I feel it's not it's not something that I feel that's very authentic it doesn't it doesn't strike me as being um, even particularly honest in a way so I kind of I kind of put it aside you know I, I just decided that, that wasn't going to be me you know um, so when Serafino did come calling and we had all these conversations. And eventually we arrived at this situation where he said, look, you can just do just what you want. Then it was a joy because it was like, well, okay, this feels, this feels right. You know, this feels good. And, um, I don't have to, um, I don't have to sort of, you know, hide behind someone else's career or whatever it might have been perceived as, you know? Yeah. Now you probably would have had a, an idea in your head about what the band was going to sound like. Now, when, when you got the guys together and you started writing, did, did it go in any direction at all where you went? Oh wow! I didn't think it'd it maybe go in this direction. Let's let's see where this goes. Um, in in a way, yes. But I, I think that that was kind of the joy of it. I mean, I I sort of gathered the people for the band very very carefully. I mean, I'd known Nick, the bass player, Nick Wastel, the bass player from uh, his previous band, Chrome Molly, which was a British rock band, and we we'd shared um, a label years ago. Literally, I'm going back 25 years here when I first when I was a young kid when the Little Angels were first getting going, and one of the first bands we ever opened for were Chrome Molly, and so I'd got to know Nick over the years very very well, and. I knew how he played, and he's, he's kind of comes from a punk rock um, background, really. And um, and Chrome Molly were a, a hard rock, heavy metal band, if they're a hard rock band, that came out of the punk sort of thing, you know. Um, and so I always loved his playing. He was always very visceral, very dynamic, very animated, and very, very um, hard, a tough bass player, you know. And, um, and uh, so I kind of knew what he what he could do. And then when, when I worked with, um, I mean, Dave Kemp, who I've been knocking around with for years, I and mean, he was in the Angels play saxophone in the, in the horn section for us but I also knew him as a wonderful musician and a fantastic piano player so I kind of knew what he did um, I, I'd, I'd worked with um, the guitar player Sam in his previous band um, Trees and Kings and I was his producer so I'd watched Sam evolve over about a period of about 18 months and loved his playing and loved, I knew what he could do he was a brilliant mixture of the alternative sort of modern alt, alt scene but he also loved all the classics. So he's, you know, his favorite band, Sweet, for instance. So I kind of knew that we met on many, many similar planes with him. And then the final piece of the jigsaw really was, was Phil um, Martini, who I'd seen play with um, Joe Elliott's Down and Outs at uh, High Voltage Festival in, in the UK. And I'd also actually fully enough had him audition for another band that I was involved with at the time as a producer. And I'd kind of really loved his play. So I kind of went in to the rehearsal room. The weird thing is we, most of the guys hadn't ever met each other until the first day we walked into a room together, which was kind of wild, you know. But what was wonderful about that is that it basically created a situation where there was no holds barred. 
there was no preconceptions, apart from probably my own, actually, apart from my own understanding of what each of the guys could do. So we went in with that feeling that we had no real idea what, what was going to happen. But it kind of did what I expected it to do. It was ex incredibly exciting. It was very, um, um, I would say, direct. And immediately, the kind of direct nature of the sound, the direct nature, the instantaneous nature of, of how this album has ended up was, was immediately um, there. It was immediately obvious that we were going to create that kind of music just because of the characters that were involved. I mean, we did try um, a lot of songs out. I mean, I wrote a lot of songs for this, this record, and I'd done some co-writing with Nick a little bit before we got in the room. But by and large, I think it was really clear very early on where we were going with the, with the direction. And, and I think we all simultaneously understood that. And even to the point where we, I brought a couple of ideas in and we all, after about five minutes of playing around with the five, ten minutes, we all went, nah, it's not going to work. It didn't seem to fit, you know. And the interesting thing about this process that we went through was that we we had initially three days in a, in a rehearsal room. Well, actually, it was Real World Studios near Bath, which is Peter Gabriel Studios, and they've got a nice rehearsal room there. We went in there for three days, and we worked on ideas that I... I'd already written a lot of ideas. I'd brought a couple of things in with me, like I say. But with, at the end of that three-day period, we we put down onto GarageBand, effectively, seven or eight demos of basic rehearsals, rehearsal demos of songs that we, we and, and ideas that we come up with. And seven of those ideas made the album. And, and that was done in the first three days. So it was really obvious that we, it, it was working, you know. Um, so I wouldn't say that there was any any massive um, shocks or surprises. What I was really, really excited about was the fact that it all worked, it all gelled, and we, we, we kind of set off down this trail everyone liked. No one sort of adversely reacted to it. Sort of, you know. Yeah. Now, now, Toby, were you able to get everyone in the band that you wanted in the beginning? Like, were they all available? <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, yes, pretty much. I mean, um, I... The only slight stumbling block really was with, was Phil. It was Phil Mart Mart Martini plays in Spear of Destiny. He was in another band, the Jim Jones. Um, I forget Jim Jones. I can't remember what it's called. No, but Jim Jones Experience or something. And, and, and he also played for um, a couple of other guys as well. So he was kind of a jobbing drummer, you know. So it was really a case of, well, look, I really want this to happen. I'd love you to be in the band. What do you reckon? And he moved heaven and earth to do it. And, you know, he he didn't even question it really. It was more a case of, well, I'd love to do it. Let's give it a try. If it works, and fantastic. And after the first rehearsal, he just turned around to me and said, "Look, you know, I'm in. You know, let's make this happen." And um, now, really, I think we're his priority. So um, that was the only thing. But the other guys were, I didn't I didn't think of anyone else apart from Nick. Dave was always going to be in there no matter what. Um, Sam, I think I wanted no matter. I really wanted Sam to be in the band. He was my, at the top of my top of my list, but because he was a young lad and he was he actually at the time was still in the Trees and Kings, I offered him the job and said, "Look, you know, if you do this, you don't, you know, I'm not asking you to quit. You're in the band. Let's, you know, are you, are you, could you make this work?" And, and he said, "Oh, I absolutely would love to give it a try." So I think if Sam hadn't have been able to make that work, there would have been a big question mark there. But I'm just so glad he, he, he you know, we we have been able to make it work because actually he's become. Um, a, a really obviously an incredibly important member in the band and uh, as all guitar players are in rock bands you know so by and large I got I got all the people I wanted you know yeah now, now are all the band are all the band members all based in the UK yes they are I mean um, Nick actually lives in France part of it, part of his life but um, but he's got a business in Leicester so he, he comes backwards and forwards and he's always always in the UK so yes we're all here which is which helps I mean I mean obviously part of the problem is uh, is that we're all we live four corners of the country, so it's like moving an army trying to get us together to do anything. But you know, but we've managed it, and um, and um, I think I think if the wheels there, you you do what you need to do. You know. Yeah, it's just that, like you mentioned, the likes of Brian Tishy. Like Brian is probably in ten bands, and if you would have the band members <laughs> live, living in America, it might be an issue. Well, exactly. when he comes I mean, playing shows, you know. No, absolutely, and I think that was part of the reason why it didn't work. You know, when we were talking about the, with that, because I mean, I know Brian quite well, and and uh, you know, and, and you know, it was it was it was one of those situations where you sort of go, well, 
it was it was a struggle to try and put the whole thing together. And like I say, I didn't. I wasn't really feeling it anyway. I was sort of think I was in a way. I was just kind of I was following the trail a little bit and hoping and wondering where it was going to go. But you know, quite often you have to do that to figure out the trail's going to go cold. You know, um, and I'm I'm infinitely more. Um, I'm infinitely happier with, with the situation that we're, that we're in now. So it worked out for the best, you know. Yeah, so like I've been listening to the album a lot recently and I'm, I'm going to compliment you here now, but I hear a lot of Tin Lizzy in it. Wow, yeah, well, I've, that's been said quite a bit as well. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, well, I mean, you know, Lizzy, it's very hard to get away from, from Tin Lizzy as being a, 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 one of the fundamentally important British rock acts, you know, and I think... Even though I wouldn't say I was the biggest thin, the biggest Tinsley fan in the world, I mean I love Tinsley, but there wouldn't be like, you know, there wouldn't be the top of my absolute list, you know. But they're definitely in that list. Um, what, what's interesting about that situation, or what you know, because it's been like Lizzie mentioned many times, is I think really what Lizzie was great at was writing very, what I would call song-centric songs, you know, and, and um, you know, Phil was an unbelievable lyricist, and I'm a massive fan. Actually, I think I'm, I think I'm a bigger fan of Phil Linnett as a lyricist than I am as him as a songwriter, as much as I love his songs. I think Phil, Phil Linnett's a very, an absolutely incredibly intuitive writer, a conversationalist, a wonderful narrator of life, you know, through his words. And mm-hmm. he's been as much of an influence on me as um, someone like Bernie Taupin has, or, um, you know, or... Um, David Bowie, you know, very, you know, they're all the giants to me, you know, giants of of, of rock, rock and roll, you know, that could write those incredibly uh, dense words that mean everything, but yet you can take with a pinch of salt that have thick, absolutely thick lines of, of truth running through them that is one is wonderful to behold and great to listen to, you know, and tells a tale and and talks about the the, the mores and and the, and the and the ups and downs of life and the human experience, and that's what I've always tried to do. And I think you know Phil was a very very smart writer because he was able to blend that wonderful sense of the Irish, but with his with his but also with his heritage as a as a black man in Ireland, you know, and a, a mixed race, you know, and um, and all the difficulties that he obviously suffered from that, and um, and I think there's something wonderful about the the, the sort of knowing humour that he added to his words, um, and that's something I've always massively appreciated about what he did, and uh, you know, yeah, so I, I think that is an enormous compliment without a shadow of a doubt, and um, but I, I would definitely say probably a lot a lot to do with the lyrics more than anything else for me. Um, but then, then you look at Sam, you know, Sam's a massive, massive synergy fan. Um, you know, he regards him one of his favourite bands. And so I think, you know, he's, he, he, he sort of tinged the guitars a little bit with that with that influence as well. You know, so. Yeah, I think especially like the song Ghost, that really stood out to me, the, the melodic guitar sound in it. And mm. it just really sounded like, yeah, yeah that's, that's the one that really sounds to me a lot like Tin Lizzy. All right. Well, well, that's very interesting. Really, really interesting. I would never have said that myself, but that's what's wonderful about music. It's all to do with the. It's in the ear of the be the behavior and all yeah. that, as we say, you know. But um, so it's all good. All good. Yeah. yeah. So, Toby, when you went out to play this and you were doing a headline show, like the album is only it's real old school. It's ten songs, thirty eight, thirty nine minutes. Well, yeah. What What else do you play on the set? <laughs> it's a good question. Um, well, for a start, we play with the songs a bit, so we extend sections. We have different starts to some of the tunes. You know, we we um, we we have like a whole beginning section of, of the set that we've worked on that sets the tone. And you know, we draw the tunes out. We do drop sections. You know, we we get people singing along, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So we, we've we've learned. I mean, I've learned this over the years. It's, you know, just through the stagecraft of being in a band. You know, with the Little Angels, we were masters at it. You know, we got used to, you know, being able to pull our songs apart and keep them keep them so they were so they were recognisable, obviously for the for the audience. But you could do you could do things with them. You know, you you can move 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 them around a little bit and and and, and um, challenge the audience a little bit for what their expectations were. And up until before we headlined, we'd done a lot of support slots over here. You know, we opened for UFO and Inglorious, and we'd been out with Steel Panther and, you know, a few other things. And um, we'd done some indoor festivals, and we'd done some outdoor festivals. So we'd, we'd, we'd played the songs a lot. So by the time we came to put the headline set together, we were ready for a bit of a change. You know, we were ready to sort of move the songs forward and give them a, a new breadth of life. And so, um, we, and, you know, so we coupled that with adding 
we, we play a couple of covers in the set, but we don't do them as standard, standalone covers. We, we sort of bring them into other songs, like in Crush, for instance, we use um, uh, um, Union City Blues by Blondie. We put that into the, into the middle of Crush. And at the end of, um, well, we do a little angel song, uh, Young Gods, and at the end of that, we do a little bit of Bohemian Rhapsody. And the reason why that is, is because they're, they're us saying unashamedly, we love these bands. This is these are the people that we hold up to be our heroes, and and as such, we want to celebrate them, sort of thing. So we were able to make about an hour and twenty minutes out of, a, out of an album that lasted no more than about whatever it is, thirty minutes or something. So, um, but it's quite a skill. It's quite a skill. You have to work on it, you know. Yeah, at least you did, you didn't you don't have a drum solo or a, a guitar solo or anything in the middle of it. Oh God, no, none of that nonsense. No, I hate all that rubbish. No. <laughs> That'll never happen in my band, mate. Never. <laughs> so, so Toby, I want to just finish up with a couple of questions. Um, I I used to buy Kerrang in the eighties, right? And of course, you were you uh-huh. started you were in Little Angels, and I'll ask you a question about that in a minute. But, um, I used to see all these bands I used to play in all these venues all up and down the UK, and I'm living in Ireland, and it was it was Dublin or nowhere, right? So over the years, you played in a lot of all venues up and down the UK um, are, well, first first part is are a lot of them still there and do you have any favourite venues you like to play in in England um, uh, a lot of them have gone a lot of them have gone um, the, the, the atmosphere in the UK has changed in terms of live venues as much as that you've got big companies like you know the O2 Academy company you know, coming in which is obviously part of Clear Channel and, and, and all that. But they 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 bought up a lot of the old theatres and, and quite a lot of the you know the sort of venues that I knew under different names and they've now created the O2 Academy you know um, venues system you know which has had um, I actually think a very very positive effect because by and large all of those venues have a small venue in them as well as a large hall and so if you're a young band or a little band you you know there's, there is you know, there, there is a great deal of opportunity if you work hard and if you do the right things um, to get to play nine times out of a small room in an academy where you're given good lights, good PA, run by professional people, they look after you, you know, et cetera, et cetera, and you get a good experience. Now, back in my day, when the Little Angels were first running, it wasn't like that. It was flea pit bars and clubs that were just about holding themselves together and very, very, very rarely had a decent PA and the lights were a bit rubbish and quite often the promoters would rip you off, et cetera, et cetera. So you were, it was a bit of a bear pit. You know, you took your life and your hands going into a lot of these places. Um, I mean, but I have massive and huge positive memories of all that. That's where we learned our trade. That's how we understood what it was like to be in a band playing the circuit, you know. Mm-hmm. So I think things have massively changed. I mean, I, I'm... I, a lot of the a lot of those early clubs have gone, but the best ones have survived. Like for instance, I'm always playing Rock City in, in Nottingham. Um, you know, um, I mean the Limelight Club in Belfast, funny enough, you know, um, was a club that we we started out, and that's still there. That's been developed and, and it's made it it's now a bigger place. Um, I mean, we used to play McGonagall's um, in Dublin. Oh, the bar, I yeah. McGonagall's. Is, I don't know whether McGonagall's is still there or not. You know, but. Um, but uh, it's it now, you know, if you go and play Dublin, you play similar thing as the Academy, even though it's not part of the O2 group. There is, a, there is an Academy venue which have a small, two small clubs in it and a big room, you know. So I think the system has just changed. It's become a bit more corporate. Yeah. It's not quite as cool, if you like. Because, um, you know, there used to be these fantastic clubs in the, in the valleys in South Wales where you could go down and play over the weekend you could play three or four shows if you wanted you know like say a Thursday night right through to a Sunday night you could do these little working men's clubs in the, in the valleys and all those those venues are all gone now you know they're, they're no longer there but it's because in a, in a way the system has changed so much that those little clubs can't sustain themselves anymore because people's money is so much more valuable. People spend care more carefully. They want a better experience. They don't want to be, you know, stood in a puddle of piss all night um, watching a, a band that are going through a shit PA and there's no lights. You know what I mean? So I think people's expectations have grown, and as such, the system has had to grow with it. You know, um, so that 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 would be my answer to that. I mean, in terms of favourite venues, I mean, Rock City would definitely figure right up there, and, and Rock City has been. I think it's the venue I've played the most at in my entire career. You know, there's, there's a small room there, there's a medium-sized room, and there's the big room, you know. 
so it's um, it's it, it can always accommodate. Um, I love. I mean, I've got to say, I love playing theatres. I mean, I think one of the first tours that Little Angels ever did was opening for Cinderella, um, and we played for the first time ever. We went and played, you know, Brad St George's Hall, and we played Lesser de Montfort Hall, and all these amazing places. Um, and I, I, I sort of quickly came to understand that really the best you ever get in lots of ways you know, as a band is playing theatres. Arenas become a bit cold. You know, you often don't get a great sound in an arena because they're a big tin shed. Mm-hmm. But the best it ever really is is a theatre. So I think my, one of my favourite places in the world is Hammersmith Apollo. Um, and we played that on the Steel Panther Tour uh, in January. And um, I played I played there as a headlining act as well as an opening act so many times that every time I go back, it's like... You know, it's like opening the door on an old dusty cupboard. You know, you sort of recognise it, and it feels like a bit like home. You know, so um, yeah, I mean, some brilliant venues in the UK, as there are all over the world. You know, and you know, it's um, it's. It, I think it just depends on, you know, it just depends on how you value it and and, and, and what what you, what your experiences have been, really. You know, but um, I'm, I'm, I'm put it this way: I'm exceptionally happy to be back playing venues. <laughs> full stop. You know, excellent. So, Toby, final question for me before I leave you go. I was leafing through my vinyl last night, and I had I had "Don't Pray for Me," and I was looking at it right. Okay. And it's thirty years old next year. Hello. And is there any thought on doing anything? Maybe reissuing it, seeing if there's any unreleased stuff. Maybe playing a show, or do you think that's just now? Nah, I'm just not going to go there anymore with that band. Um, it's a it's a bit of a it's a bit of an unknown. I mean, there has been talk about doing some stuff. Um, not not a new not 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 doing a new album or anything like that, of course. But um, there has been some conversations between us all about doing possibly doing something for the anniversary next year. Because bizarrely, it's I think it's twenty years ago next year that we split up. Oh. <laughs> so which is mad. Yeah, crazy, isn't it? Yeah. Um, so, um, or 20, is it 25 years? Even? I don't know. Um, so that's kind of crazy. So we, uh, we have been in conversation about that. I have to be honest, hand on heart. I'm not that interested really. I, cause, and, and it's not for other reason apart from, I think sometimes you just got to let sleeping dogs lie. And I think we, what we did with the little angels was something that existed in that time. And, it's, I found it we did when we did the Reformation tour in 2012 in the UK. <clears throat> I found it slightly odd singing too much too young as a as a 47 year old bloke, whoever I was, you know. Um, and it felt a bit awkward. And I I suddenly realised that Little Angels were a band of the time. As much as I am massively, massively, massively appreciative of what what happened, and I am wouldn't be able to speak to you if it wasn't for that band, of course. And I have such Joy, joyful memories about the whole thing. I think sometimes you've got to sort of go, well, okay, that was then, yeah. and, and here we are now, and, and I, I want to move on. But I wouldn't close the door on it. It depended on what the situation was and how it was formed as an idea. And I think, without a shadow of a doubt, there's enough of an audience out there who would love to see us on a stage again. But it would just have to be right. I would have to. I, I would absolutely. Wanted to be the original lineup, you know. Obviously, poor old Michael Lee can't be with us, but yeah. we, I'd have to have Mark Richardson back in the band playing the drums, and we'd have to have the original horn section. We'd have to do it properly like that. And, I, and if we were to do it, I wouldn't want to do any more than two or three shows, and there'd have to be special venues, and it would have to be like that, you know. Because yeah. it, it means it means so much to me, and I think it means so much to us all that I don't want to belittle it, and I don't want to make it look like it's a bank raid or something, you know. I think one of, one of the reasons I'm asking you as well, Toby, is. You know, you see the likes of Reef and the Wild Hearts and Terrorvision going out, and like you're going out, yeah. I think soon with is it Dare and FM? Like a lot, yeah, all, a lot of those bands from back then, they're still going in some shape or form. So yeah. you know, there is that, there is that, that you know, it might be nice to go and do a couple of shows, maybe a festival or something. Yeah, yeah. I mean, no, absolutely, absolutely. And, I, and I take your point, and, I, and I, this this gets said so many times, and, and I totally, totally get it. And also the fact that. You know, so many classic rock bands of our a generation above us, beyond us, are either giving up or are no longer with us. I mean, look, look at Motorhead. You know, obviously, those all those guys are gone now, etc., mm-hmm. etc. Et so, I do understand that Little Angels are part of that next sort of phalanx of, of bands that came through after that that point. So, I understand that there is 
there is demand, but I also think that I've never, dealing with me, Richard, I've never been a guy to stand still and, and just rest on my laurels. I want to keep moving forward. I think life's about new challenges and about doing different new new things and, and welcoming the, the challenge of something new and leaving behind what has gone before because you can't change that. Mm-hmm. You can't alter it. Some, the only thing I think sometimes can alter it, is if it especially with music, is if it, if it looks like it's a pale imitation of what it was when he was at his best. Yeah. And I wouldn't want it to be that. Yeah. I really wouldn't. You know? well, well, Toby, I have to admit, I think the Wayward Sons album is brilliant. And, um, oh, I really appreciate that. Thank and you. Did you want to give out all the social media sites where people can get in touch with you or the band? Absolutely. Well, I mean, it's um, waywardsonsband.com. Uh, and um, I think the Facebook is which is Wayward Sons. Um, and the Twitter is, I think that's Wayward Sons band um, is a Twitter feed. So, yeah, I mean, you, you can reach us through Facebook. That's the obvious one. That's really, you know, which is which is the, is the uh, mainstay of our of our sort of um, communication as it is with most bands of the, today. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, you know, with a bit of luck, you know, we would love to come over to the US and play some shows when the time is right. And I'm not, I'm not writing that off for one second. You know, I, I feel there's. There's a chance that we could do that. I certainly an opening, and um, you know, and, and Frontiers, you know, I've got a, um, I've got an American office in Nashville, and they're, you know, they're they're doing as much as they can to help us get over there as well. So, with a bit of luck, we might be able to Excellent. do it in the flesh one day, you know. Yeah, well, I can all, I can I can go the other way and maybe catch you in the UK. <laughs> oh, hopefully that that'll be great. That that would be good. That yeah. would be good. All right, Toby. Well, I'm going to leave you go, and uh, thanks for spending some time with me. No problem at all. Thanks, uh, thanks for the interview and much, much appreciate it. No problem, Toby. And have a good rest of the day, okay? Thank you, Richard. Okay, thanks, no for Take care. Bye. See you, Tom. Bye-bye. up there with a track off of the Wayward Sons release, Ghost of Yet to Come. That one's called Don't Wanna Go. And it goes without saying, but I'm going to say it anyways. Big thanks to this week's guest, Mark Tremonti and Toby Jepson for taking a little time to talk to us here at Focus on Metal. And if you listen to the show on the release week, that being the first week of June, then be on the lookout for the new Tremonti album, A Dying Machine, to be released on Friday. So not 100% sure what is up in store for you next week. couple things we have going but uh, Richie and I have to get together and uh, nail that one down. We actually tried to fit in a discussion piece this week, but uh, scheduling as it is right now is uh, severely hampered, so we weren't able to 
bring that together in time this week. So we are shooting to try to have a bit of discussion in play for you next week. And uh, I will say that uh, if you're over there in Europe and you are able to attend any of the Iron Maiden Legacy of the Beast tour dates, that uh, we are all extremely, extremely jealous of you. Look down at the set list, and uh, it's pretty cool. Sounds like an awesome tour. Hope that they are going to be bringing that on a somewhat full scale here in the States. Keep our fingers crossed, but just want to say that for you uh, European brethren of the metal, we are most jealous. Yep, don't know where that came from, but uh, damn it, I just had to say it. But anyways, like I said, uh, don't know what is up in store for you next week. Got a great talk with Leather Leone about her new album, Leather 2. We have uh, quite an extensive chat that Richie did with Greg Jafria, but uh, not talking about Jafria. In this case, talking about the uh, the beginnings of House of Lords. Also, believe it or not, we still have some more Kerrang! stuff in store. And uh, you know what? After months and months, we, uh, we are still sitting on the Biff Byford uh, interview that Richie did that kind of wraps up or almost wraps up our look at the Mighty Saxons discography. So all that and more awaits you in the coming weeks here at Focus All Metal. So lots of good stuff as we lead up to the aforementioned summer break. But for this week, that's it. There ain't no more. Stick a fork in it. This puppy is done. So for Richie, myself, and everybody else here at Focus on Metal, have yourselves a great metal week. And until we talk to you again next week, remember... Focus on Metal! Everything else is insignificant. Still here? It's over. Go home.